Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter, at Braden Gall. Unfortunately, Adam Vingan will not be joining me on the show this week. But do not worry. We've got a special, special guest for you coming up in just a few minutes. I will explain more in just a second. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Please share it. We're in the middle of the summer months. We've got the expansion draft coming up. I will give you my thoughts on Adam Vingan's expansion piece after our interview, so make sure you check that out as well. Adam will be back next week, so don't worry. He'll be fine, and there'll be far less snark and strange voices on the show this week. That's all. Just That's all you need to know. Uh, but you'll get tons of insight and analysis into the Nashville Predators. Trust me on that, and I'll tell you about that in just a second. Of course, the gold standard is brought to you by Jaspers. This is where Adam Bingen would yell Jaspers at you. However, I'm not going to yell at you. I'm just going to give you some nuts and bolts about why Jaspers is a place you need to go. You know about the happy hour from 4 to 6 every single day, right? It's You can go from 4 to 6 p.m., get great prices on appetizers and beverages. However, they also have another happy hour, and you can go to their website, of course, jaspers.restaurant, and you can check out the weekly rundown. For example, Tuesdays, taps and flats, any flatbread, which is like 15 bucks, and anything on tap, which is like anywhere from 8 to 10 bucks, for $10. That's like a $25 meal for 10 bucks. How about bubbles and rosé on Wednesdays? $5 glasses of bubbles and rosé. Bring the wife, bring the family, bring a date. Don't tell her it's on a Wednesday because it's $5, which is like half price for all those drinks. How about Thursdays? Burgers and beer. Any Jasper's burger or dog plus a draft beer for $10. Again, if you want a real happy hour, go to Jasper's. Okay? Free parking. You guys know the drill. A burger and a beer? It's like, again, $25. That is a happy hour that puts all other happy hours in the city to shame. That's like $10 for a $25 meal. It's fantastic. And again, this is this is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Sunday. There's something special going on for you guys at Jasper's, 6 p.m. to close. So make sure you go check it out. Again, have I mentioned that the parking is free? So I will give you my thoughts on Adam Vingan's official expansion list that he posted last week that we talked about on last week's episode. However, our guest today on the show, Milwaukee Admirals head coach Carl Taylor. He's been the head coach since 2018, had two stunning seasons as the head coach. They won a boatload of games and then, of course, had to have a very strange pandemic season where he split time between Chicago and Milwaukee with half of his roster on a taxi squad and half of his roster playing for the Carolina Hurricanes farm system. Just a bizarre situation. So we started our conversation a little bit with with the pandemic season and what he had to deal with being so split there with his coaching staff, not being able to be around all of his players all the time. Uh, but actually, it did give him a little bit of insight, and he explained this to some degree, a sneak peek of what the Hurricanes were running systematically, and he was able to relay that to John Hines before the playoff series. He'll explain a little bit more about that. It was really interesting stuff how the one of the weirdest situations in all of professional sports that I can ever think of might have actually benefited the Nashville Predators. We talked about the differences in his role between winning games and developing talent for the NHL. There's, a, there's obviously a split motivation there as a head coach in the AHL, and he's not shy about his own motivations. He wants to be a head coach in the NHL. We talked about the differences between coaching and working under Peter LaViolette and John Hines. There's clearly a better mesh with John Hines systematically, schematically on the ice. And so I think another check mark in the box for John Hines is that he meshes maybe a little bit better with the minor league staff in Milwaukee. I asked him how much hockey he watches. Does he need to watch the WHL and the OHL and the, the KHL to sort of be in the position that he's in? 
we talked about putting a plan in place for every single player that arrives on his doorstep. Does he meet with the front office of the Predators and lay out a plan for each person? I asked him why Nashville is so great at developing defensemen. We talked about Alex Carrier, Yakov Trenin, Tanner Janot, Matthew Olivier. What are the next steps for Ellie Tolvanen? And why is Philip Tomasino so special? So if you're a Nashville Predators fan, I think you're going to enjoy the conversation. He was incredibly thorough. He's very talented. The team is really good. The players are developing. All those young guys you saw up in Nashville this past season contributing for most of the second half during that big time run. A lot of them are because Carl Taylor and his staff developed those guys. So without any more conversation for me, again, I'll be back to give you my thoughts on Adam Vingan's expansion draft list. But really, the entire episode here is going to feature Carl Taylor, head coach of the Milwaukee Admirals. Carl, first of all, thank you for joining us here on the show. We really appreciate it, man. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. So uh, we'll start really wide here, and then we'll kind of narrow in on some specifics as the conversation goes along. But I guess I got to start with the the COVID pandemic stuff, which I'm sure you love having to talk about. But it is, you know, you in particular and your team or somebody else's team and your team. I, I'm not, I, I guess, just explain to people what it was like to find out that you guys were going to share a roster and coaching staff. And just like, what was that experience like for you as a coach who normally works very closely with this particular set of guys. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, stage one of the pandemic when it first happened without getting into, uh, we've already hashed this out pretty good, but the uh, losing our season that we had and the run we were on and what was happening with our team in, in 1920 was uh, extremely disappointing. We went through the uh, pause. Uh, I was with Nashville for the bubble, came back for training camp. And then I uh, got news that our team was one of three teams that wasn't going to operate. And I wasn't part of those discussions. So I'm not sure everything that went into it. Obviously, it was a very difficult decision for everyone involved. And then, and then we were informed that uh, we would be sharing with the Chicago Wolves, who's probably uh, one of our biggest rivals. Um, I do have a previous, uh, I was an assistant coach in Chicago a long time ago with Craig McTavish. Um, and so I had, a, I knew some of the people involved and so that made it a little easier, but, uh, that was a big, uh, a big ask. And the, I think, uh, the predators understood that we, we, I live out in Heartland, which is about 30 minutes, 20, 30 miles West of, uh, Milwaukee. And so it, it's about a two hour commute daily each way. So it's a four hours driving. Uh, we didn't go every single day, but most of the time, some nights we would stay, uh, but it was a big ask. They understood that, but we, uh, you know, in the big picture, uh, from a Milwaukee Admiral staff, uh, a lot of people were asked to sacrifice a lot of things or trainers and family time. And um, in the end, uh, it was very different for us. But for the players, I would say they got the most out of it. It was the development and us be able to really focus on that because we were not uh, we're always very focused on development. But uh, the other coaching staff from Carolina was uh, the front lines and we were a support situation. Uh, I ran the power play there in Chicago and uh, was on involved in everything, but their staff ran the team because it is their team. And so, um, you know, to be honest with you, I just want to thank our staff in Milwaukee, everything they did and as far as extending themselves and uh, uh, what we asked for their families, it was a huge ask. Um, and the players benefited in the end. Obviously we had lots of guys go up and do well in Nashville. And, and we'll get to a lot of those guys, but it, I cannot think, of another situation where you would be potentially helping to develop a player that might be playing against your like 
employer at the highest level in the playoffs, like in a couple of months. Like I, I just, that's gotta be, I mean, I know you guys had to do your jobs and like you said, it's all about developing the players and doing what's best for them, but that has to be one of the most ridiculous situations in the history of sports. Yeah, it was interesting. There's no question. And uh, I, I will, I want to, I want to thank the Carolina staff, uh, the coaches uh, from day one, uh, Ryan Morsovsky is the head coach and then Patty and uh, Bob, we all got along very well. We all knew it was going to be a little different, but uh, you know, I was very, uh, I think our staff was very careful about allowing them space to do their job and not getting too involved and just focusing on uh, helping the players develop. And, and that's what we did. And we didn't just coach our players to your point about, um, you know, uh, players that went up and, and then played against Nashville in the first round of playoffs. So it's, it's very interesting situation. It also allowed both teams to uh, have an inside scoop on how teams play, maybe advantage to us a little bit in that department because they were running the systems. It wasn't us because it was their team. So it allowed us to have a little sneak peek of what we might see. But, uh, you know, in the end, like I said before, we were focused on developing the players 100% um, on both teams, both coaching staffs. We focused on helping everyone get better like we always do. And obviously when we have our own team, there's a balance with that because we do need to win games and we want to have that winning environment. So um, it, was it was very different, but I would say it was a huge success from the player's pers perspective. Um, but it was, it was difficult for all our staff from Milwaukee, for sure. So you use the phrase sneak peek, and I'm curious, how, how much communication do you guys have with John Hines' staff because clearly Nashville played much better against Carolina in the postseason than they did in the regular season for, for a lot of reasons. But did you guys have some communication heading into the series? Were you able to actually, you said, you know, offer up a sneak peek? How, I think if you, ask, if, you, if you ask any, uh, any uh, coaching staff on any team at any level, they're going to take all the information they can. And when they're in a, heading into a playoff series, doesn't mean you're going to deliver all that information to the players. They have to – uh, work their way through it and decide what are the main key areas they want to highlight for their team. And you can't talk about the other team the whole time. That's just a waste of time. You got to focus on what you have and what you are doing. Uh, but it was definitely something uh, we talked with the staff and it's just the way it was where we, we shared some things and they used some and they didn't use some other stuff. And um, you know, John and I talk quite a bit. Uh, we think about the game pretty similar and uh, there's a lot of similarities in, in uh, how we want things to occur. So I think moving forward um, and having John and I running these two organizations, I think there'll be a good opportunity for the teams to play similar and be a very smooth transaction moving forward. So then let's, let's scale back and, and kind of pull back a little bit and kind of look at your role in, in a normal situation, in a, in a normal year. Um, which you've had a couple of very successfully, of course, in Milwaukee. How do you, how would you describe the balance? And you've already alluded to it. How would you describe the balance between creating the winning environment, wanting to win games and, and, and showing up for your fans, but also knowing that, that the role of X, Y, and Z player is to make them good enough so that they can go contribute to the Nashville Predators. How do you, how would you describe the balance between those two uh, motivations? Yeah, I, I think it's uh it's kind of the age old question and, I think you can have a good relationship with uh, referees. <laughs> so, so a lot of people think you can't do both of these things and we all strive to do them. Uh, I, I think you can. So it is difficult at times, but you have to be very upfront and communicate with your players. They need to understand that, uh, you know what, early in the season, 
every every year is pretty similar. We're going to sign free agents. We're going to have new young young guys moving into a roster, and the uh, the the new players always get the benefit of the doubt early on in the season. That's just the way it is. And uh, you know, a, a good example is that uh, uh, in 1920, uh, we had Jeremy Davis coming in as a young guy who was traded part of the Subban trade, and we wanted to see him on the power play. We wanted to give him some opportunity. And he's a very good power play player, and he's going to do that down the roads. It's some, some of the skill set he has. But then we asked Alex Carrier to take a back seat a little bit to allow Jeremy to have that early look. And it happens every season. It's just the way it is. And then after 10 games, things kind of sort out, and uh, things fall into place. And then the, the so-called veteran players, the players that have been here for a while, they end up getting their opportunities back. So balancing winning and development early in the season, we're going to live with some mistakes from the young players. We're going to allow them to uh, be put into areas that we're not comfortable with as coaches uh, for growth. And we tell the players this, and, you know, it's all about opportunity and everyone wants more opportunity, more ice time, more responsibility. Well, you're going to get that early in the season in the American hockey, league, at least with the teams I coach, you're going to get that chance, but we're going to remember how it went. And uh, moving forward, uh, the bottom line is for coaching staff, we need to win games. Like, let's not beat around the bush here. Um, uh, personal goals for our staff, we all want to coach in the National Hockey League. Well, if, if, if you lose all your games, you're not going to get opportunities. That's just the way it is. We all know that. No one's good. Everyone wants to hire a winner. And so that's for us. We have to balance those two sides, your personal things. And then the team always comes first, obviously. But we want to develop players in a winning environment. Early in the season, like I said, they're going to get opportunities. If they grab onto them, they'll continue. As we get down to the nitty-gritty and the, uh, the race at the end of the year uh, and how things are progressing and then into playoffs, um, we're not taking development losses at that time of the season. And so there'll be times early on we'll give guys opportunities. They might sting our team. Hopefully it doesn't end up burning us in the end of the year. But those are the balances. You're trying to balance the long-term growth of each player. And it's not just the young prospects. Like it's – it's a uh, Cole Snyder, who is a veteran guy who we had. And how do we get him five more years of contracts in the American League level if the NHL is not part of his vision right now? So we, we invest in every single player. It's not just about the prospects. We want to help each and every guy, whatever their goals are, whatever they're trying to strive for. We're going to do everything we can to create open doors and more options for them. Because if we do that, then we're investing in them. Then that player is invested in the team result, which allows us to get the wins that we need. So um, with the players and what we're trying to do and how you balance winning, when you're winning, players don't have much gripes. They, they don't have anywhere to go. So if they're not on the power play and the power play is running hot, things are happening. They, they basically have to chew on it and move forward. And like anything, when you go on a little bit of a bad streak or a slump, players are going to have gripes and then you're going to see true colors come out. It's just the way it is. And those are the moments when you dig in and you're coaching and you're trying to manage things. And that's where all the growth is. It's all in the dirt and that's where your team grows and where players can grow. Um, it's, it's easy when it's easy. And when it gets difficult, that's when the real growth occurs. So you mentioned you communicate with, with John a lot and that your, your styles and your systems and sort of how those teams play yours and his are, are similar. And certainly that obviously helps with, with player development, making the transition. You did coach with Peter Laviolette. Can you describe the differences between working with both of the staffs and sort of what they entail? You know, I, mean, I don't necessarily need scheme here. I'm just curious yeah. sort of like, like strategy wise, like how do you go about your job differently between the two different coaches? 
Well, I think everyone does it differently. There's always similarities. And uh, I think in the, in the, uh, in the new age, there is, there is only so many ways to play this game and you're not, you can't chase the tactic. It's not going to happen. The, and in the end, like right now, there's four teams left in the National Hockey League. They all play the right way. They all play the right way. So, like, the other teams that have been eliminated in the playoffs, they're all good teams. But maybe they cheated more than the last four. Maybe they would not play the right way as long as these other teams have. And that's the process of the playoffs. They're going to get eliminated. And when you get down to the final four, you got a group of teams that play the right way. It comes down to the finest details. So, when you look at John Hines and then Peter, Peter uh, and I communicated a lot about players, uh, who was playing well, what was occurring. There's a couple of things system-wise. I like to do things a little uh, slightly different, and that's normal. You're going to see that between every coach in the history of the game. And Peter's coached a very long time, been very successful. He was very uh, uh, helpful in my development and allowing me to learn from him and be part of his staff in the camps when we were around. And I really enjoyed learning from him and uh, there's, there's things I learned from him. We had a, a friend of mine and his had a, uh, a relationship. Uh, and uh, I think 15 years ago, we did a little uh, FaceTime thing, or I, I can't remember what the vehicle was we used back then, but we did it. We did uh, probably Skype, I'm going to guess, but yeah. we did a little coaching thing together. And uh, to this day, I still use what he was talking about from that session. I think I really believe in it. So uh, I've gotten a lot from Peter and, and uh, really enjoyed my time with him. And I think with John, uh, his, his, the couple of things I would do a little different than Peter's team's playing uh, is John does the same thing. It's not because he does it or because I do it. It just happened to line up when he got the job. And I was like, oh, okay, this seems to be a really good fit on how we believe the game should be played in a couple of different ways. So, How much do you have to have a scope of the entire organization? Like, I know you watch the Preds games, obviously, to – for a variety of reasons, but how much do you have to like be paying attention to the KHL and the OHL and the WHL? And, you know, for fans that don't know there, there's a lot of different leagues for, for all these prospects to kind of be working towards the common goal of getting to the NHL. How much big picture scope do you have to have? Or, or is that stuff that you don't have to worry about? Yeah. You, you can't get too involved in it. You got to stay in your lane a little bit because they're eventually probably coming through the American league. It's a rarity for teams or players to step right into the National Hockey League. It's the best league in the world. Very difficult to do. And uh, even if you do step right in, there's still pitfalls coming. And either you learn those lessons in the minors or you're going to learn them in the NHL and, and be a healthy scratch or whatever may happen. So I, I think for, for me, we're aware of who our prospects are. Uh, we see them in the summer, usually at, in a normal season at the development camp. We'll see them at rookie camp when we have the rookie tournament. We play three games and we have a few days where we run some practices, get to see those young guys, get to know them. And I think that's a great process. Are we following them during the season? Well, we read the reports and we read what's happening. But are we watching games and live tape? No. Maybe last year during the pandemic, we did a little bit just to keep ourselves entertained. But in a typical year, we want them to go do their thing. And then when they arrive on our doorstep, we're going to greet them with open arms and then we're going to dig in and see how fast we can get them out of here. Because as we all know, with the salary cap, the sooner we get these young guys still on entry level deals into the national hockey league, those are big wins for the national predators. And so if we can make that occur sooner than later, then we're doing our job and hopefully we win a few games along the way as well. So for each individual player, when they do show up on your doorstep, because Ellie Tolvanen's a guy that you just mentioned, 
he kind of goes directly into the NHL for a, a brief cup of coffee and then ends up back with you guys for, for a longer chunk of time to develop his game. And you saw that pay off for him this year with the way he played before the injury. Uh, how, how for each individual player, do you guys have like a, we're going to sit down, look at the scouting report, look at strengths and weaknesses, what this player does well, what he needs to work on. Are you working with, you know, the front office for the Preds and coach Hines on that? Is it just you and your staff sort of explain to the fans, like when, when you get a guy who's come to your team, What's the process like to, to figure out, all right, this is what we need to, to develop? So for, for us, we, I believe in, in making my own decisions and making my own reads of players when I see them. And I get to communicate with them. I get to learn what makes them tick, what's their strengths. And uh, we, we don't want to always focus on, well, this guy won't do this, this, and this. Like, what, what does he do well? And where can we get him into those spots that, that, that show and highlight? So we, if a player has early success in any league, you're going to see them jump. And so if we can find a way to do that, we'll take all the information we can. But in the same breath, like, uh, for example, we come in and uh, Yakov Trenet. So I get the job. Dean leaves. Congrats to Dino on the uh, Jack Adams uh, nomination today. That's awesome. But uh, I come in and and uh, people that have been around, they're like, geez, this guy's, you know, he's, he's got a lot to handle and we got to help him out. And I just said, well, you know what? I'm going to brace this kid, and we're, we're going to we're going to run with it, and I'm going to put him on the first line, and I'm just going to give him the world, and see if we can build a relationship early. And and uh, in the situation with uh, with Trenny, it worked out, and he had two great years here, and he's off and running and doing his thing now. So it doesn't always work out that way, but I think you can collect too much information and allow other people's opinions to cloud what you see or what you want to do. Now, for us, when we get a prospect, we get all the reports. And our direct boss, Scott, he will inform us and he'll manage down and get guys in certain spots. And, and that's the way the world works. He'll be saying, talking about, you know, whoever it is, Patrick Harper, you know, he's a power play guy. He's this guy, we're going to do this. We're moving into this direction. Uh, he'll get information on what he would like to see. And then as coaches, we hold the roster and that's our lineup decisions and get it the way we want. But we embrace the players. We early on, we want to get to know them. But we also want to evaluate. So we're not jumping on them as soon as they get here. We're going to set a standard for what we want in Milwaukee, how we want the guys to operate. We'll explain how we do business, and then we'll go about our business. And then eventually, some guys, it happens quick. You know, you take a Tanner Janot. I remember my first meeting with the group, uh, day one of training camp in Milwaukee. I, I love communicating with the players. I want them to have an ear. I want them to understand what I'm thinking. I don't want them guessing. And, you know, there's a lot of time you want them guessing just to tweak them. But for the most part, I want them to know because we're going to treat them like humans and we want them to, to be able to attain what they want. And so I address the group and I always do this. And it's like, if you don't know what I'm thinking or if you have questions, you ask for a conversation. We'll go for a walk about the bottom of the arena and have a few, have a coffee and we'll just get out of the office and we'll have a normal conversation. You can ask me anything and I'll tell you how it is. Uh, meeting was over. Tanner said, coach, can I have a minute? And, and that's Tanner's, you know, that's why he's had such success is that you tell him he's got an issue. He's going to chase it down and try to fix it. If you give him an option to find a way to get better, he's going to do it. So in the end, as coaches, we're going to help these guys, but let's not forget the player has to do it. The player has to grab it. They have to grab the opportunity. They have to put the work in and they have to be willing to be coached. So like a guy like Toby comes in, he's 18 years old. He's a young man. He's learning his way. And so much pressure. There's books written about him in Finland before he even landed in Milwaukee at 18 years old, which is basically two and a half years younger than anyone else in the league. So 
it's sometimes you got to pump the brakes a little bit and assist people and get the heat off of them. But every player has their own path and their own progression and development. And there's no, it's going to be this. We all want it to be a direct line, perfect acceleration. That's not what happens. There's dips, there's issues, there's things that happen. And you could see that. And think of, think of the players that have come through Milwaukee since I arrived. So you have like a Jared Tenorti, second chance, third team, works his way in the NHL, Colin Blackwell, Rocco Grimaldi. These older players that have found a way to get a second chance and then grab it. Like Colin Blackwell had an outstanding season for the New York Rangers this year after getting, you know, going to another organization and getting more opportunities. So sometimes it's timing, sometimes it's, but you got to invest in every single player. And we want to use our eyes to make the uh, final judgment. And because when you're having conversations with people, it's just like, like you're reading them. That's our job. Right? Our job is to understand what makes people tick. How do we get inside? How do we help push them? How do we make this player believe they can reach goals they don't even know they can get to? The gold standard is, in fact, brought to you by Jaspers. Who is that on the other line? My name is Adam Vinion. You can follow me on Twitter at AdamVinion.com. <laughs> I don't think that's a real URL yet. I think it is. He needs to have one, though, if he doesn't. Steve Adam is Cavendish, his, everybody. I, Adam is his own brand. I am my own brand. Follow me, Adam Vinion. <laughs> will you do the voice during this ad read for promoting Jaspers? I will not do the voice. I cannot do the voice. No, you cannot. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny because I like that voice. That's a good voice. That's a fun bit he's got going. I, I agree. I, I agree. Yeah. Uh, aside from the fact that he's mocking the people that keep him employed, it's a wonderful idea. You know he can do that. I, I don't think I can, I don't think I can get away with that. I'm not as I'm not as cool as Adam. That's that that's that's just the fact. Bare facts of the matter. None of us are. There's no question. You know what else is pretty cool? Jaspers. Go Jaspers. to Jaspers because they have a great happy hour. That's a real happy hour. They've got a parking lot that is also very real and very free. They've got a great menu. They've got all different types of places to sit. You know you know what's good about a restaurant, Steve? When you have lots of places to sit. And you know what's what's really good about a restaurant right now? It's inside and air conditioned and not outside <laughs> and hot as balls. Oh my god. I was at the Vandy games on, over the weekend. Holy smokes a Rooney. Yeah. Yikes. Uh, I hope a bunch of people went to the game on Saturday and Friday, celebrated the big W's by by Vanderbilt, and walked down the street and went to Jasper's for a nice, refreshing, tall, cool, frosty one. You know? You know- you know, th- there is really nothing better in, in summertime. One of the great things is to walking into play- a place like Jasper's and just seeing that big glass of beer right there on the, on the bar is fantastic. And, and they have a new section on the menu called the, the things that we grew up on, <laughs> or the stuff, the stuff we grew up on. And it's, it's uh, let's call it the not top shelf. You know how it looks like, you know, how there's like the unhappy hour. Yep. There's the, the not top shelf. Uh, and I, it's, there's, there's the banquet beer in there. There's some PBR, there's some, some, some Miller's, some butt heavies. And you know what? I don't drink those very often, but on a 105 degree day with humidity off the, off the charts, you know what? I could go for a PBR or a Miller high life. You know, I could do one of those. Sure. Sure. If you have to, Jasper's also has good beer. <laughs> <laughs> Jasper's, Jasper what... sponsored the show. Anheuser-Busch does not. <laughs> one of the things I love about Jasper's is. They also have good things you can drink, not just Miller Lite and PBR. <laughs> the food is excellent. The parking is free. 
There's great places to watch the games. Any games the parking is plentiful. It is fantastic. Go to Jasper's, folks. You, you've got uh, Super Regional Action finished in the books, but you got two teams, Vanderbilt and Tennessee, both going to Omaha. So plenty of games to watch coming up in the next couple of weeks. And then all of a sudden, we're going to be into July, and then it'll be SEC Media Days, and then you get to watch Talking Season on television, which is – there's nothing more exciting than that. So um, <laughs> that, that's coming up for fans. Uh, that is That might not be true. And we got the NHL playoffs, NBA playoffs. Still lots of good stuff to go watch. Nashville SC gets back going here this weekend, I think. So uh, a lot of good stuff uh, to watch out there. Go to Jaspers. That is for sure. Now, let me ask you a question real quickly. So I saw a reporter get heckled for calling Barry Trotz – Barry, and since this is a Preds podcast, the somebody tweeted this this woman and basically said, "You sound like a sorority girl. You're sucking up to the coach. You know, be a professional." And of course, I immediately thought of Adam Vinyan and yourself because Adam Vin- Adam Vinyan, who has the original correct take on this, which is Barry Trotz, not my coach. So therefore, <laughs> right. I'm not calling him coach. It's so funny because the unprofessional thing to do, the thing to the, putting him on a pedestal would be calling him coach. It, it's He's not your coach. Barry is, wait for it, his name. <laughs> As I was going to say, yes, sucking up to him by using his given name. Follow-up question for you, Steve. Could you call him Mr. Barry? Would that be unprofessional? Do I have to answer this as Adam or as me? Uh, I'm going to answer well, this as Adam. No, you cannot call him Mr. Barry. <laughs> My kids use that that term for all their daycare teachers, and I hate it so much. I oh, Mister Mister or Ms. You know, First name, I hate it. It's such Ms. a Sue. southern thing. I don't. I, may, I I hate it so much. My sister in law teaches like little tykes. They all call her Miss Janet. There's a nine year old lives next door. Love her to death. Sweet as sweet as pie. And she says Mister Braden. And I said, I said don't call me that, Mister Gall. <laughs> Or Brayden. Wow. <laughs> that is a, that is aggressive as a neighbor. Just say, well, I don't think I use that tone exactly. But, <laughs> but it's Bra- my name is Braden or Mr. Gall. Those are my two names. That's it. I don't have another one. There's not another name. Folks, good to Jaspers. That is the definitive word from me, Adam Vinyan. Well, and, and certainly Alex Carey is a guy I want to talk about in just a second because you talk about sort of a the, the straight line, right? Like just fans have been waiting for him forever, and all of a sudden he gets here, and not only is he playing well, but he's playing with Roman Yossi in the playoffs on the top pairing. So we'll get to that in a second. But just can you can you put into words why the Nashville Predators are so great at developing top-level defensemen? Well, I think it starts. It starts with anything, but you start with good stock. They've, they've, the scouts have done a good job of making selections, and if you select good players that fit into how you want the team to play, I think that's a big part of it. Uh, I also think that over the time of the people that they've had coaching in the American Hockey League, if you go back 15 years of the people that have been in Milwaukee and and uh, the assistant coaches, the head coaches, you know, you got Lane Lambert, you got Dean Evison, you got Claude Noel. You know, you have a lot of coaches that have a long-term vision of uh, investing in players and helping players develop. And so I think that's a big part of it. But also the environment in Milwaukee. If you look at our owner, Harris Tour, and and John Greenberg, the people that run this organization, they're very invested in what they do. And they care a lot about the players. And so there's there's a lot of things that have to line up. Um, Why do we have, uh, I think maybe... Uh, our selections have been D-man uh, heavy over the last 15 years. 
And so the more, the more swings you take, the more hits you're going to get as well. Uh, Cause the draft isn't a science. We try to make it a science, but you can't predict human behavior. So you're, you're trying to do everything you can to make the right decisions when you're selecting players and you try to get, well, I don't know what the percentage is they're trying to hit, but you're trying to get more right than wrong. And, and uh, it looks like we're heading down the right path with the players coming into Milwaukee. Well, let's, let's, let's get into some of the players then. And we'll touch on Carrier first, because I just, I was incredibly impressed with his confidence with the puck especially in the offensive end. I mean, this is a guy who just got to the league and uh, I, I know he's obviously played a lot of hockey, but I, I you know, I'm not going to try to compare him to Roman Yossi because that's pretty hard to do. But if you look at the rest of the Predators roster, the one guy that he kind of plays like, if you're looking at just the Preds roster, he's got some of Yossi's confidence with the puck in the offensive zone. And I, I don't know what just, Explain your development process with with Alex Carrier because I, I think he's now a guy that they have to protect in the expansion draft, and I think he's maybe a top four defenseman for the next ten years for them. So Alex, he's a fifth year pro this year. I think it was his fifth year playing pro, and so my assistant coach Scott Ford has had him. I think the whole time here, Scott's been on staff here, and he's done a great job with Alex. But you know, let, let's start with who Alex is. Like he's a leadership guy. He's an unbelievable human. Great individual, uh, very dedicated to his craft. And I think it was his uh, early on, he got some games up and did okay. And then he went through a little bit of a spell where he didn't get called up. And that can be a very difficult thing for people to go through, especially a young player. Uh, Alex probably was 21, 22 at that time. And then you're like, geez, did I miss my window? You start second guessing and you have to work through these things. This is incredibly um uh, difficult process for players. Like there's so many guys and every year there's another draft and there's more guys coming and they all want your ice time. They all want your job. It is very hard to process uh, for people that don't go through that. And that, that I didn't play pro hockey. So uh, I played a lot of hockey, but I didn't play pro hockey. So that, that, that includes me. And, and that's why I got a Greg Rallo and a Scott Ford who have gone through the American hockey league. They're going to fill some of my gaps and make sure that I'm, confident in making decisions when I ask them questions. So for, until you go through it and understand the process, it's very difficult to explain. There's always self-doubt. There's always questions of whether you can do it. And I think the, the thing we try to really work with these players is you can't worry about the National Hockey League until you're a dominant player in the American Hockey League. No matter what age you are, how old you are, like if you're not dominating in the American League, how are you going to go to the NHL and have success? It's probably not going to happen. And so you have to dominate in whatever your traits are. So we have a Tanner Janot who is dominating, uh, Matty Olivier. They're dominating in different ways. They're physical beasts. They're playing hard, hard to take the puck off. They're extending ozone play. They're, they're doing the things they need to do to be an effective player in the American League at a high level. They go to the NHL, they do the same thing because they're ready. Alex Carrier has been a guy who's been on the power play in the American League, off the power play, started off it, was mad at me. We had might have had a little conversation that – he uh, shared his opinions. And then two weeks later, he's back on the power play and he runs the best power play in the American League for the whole season. So um, he's an elite player. He's an outstanding young man. And we all knew he could do it, but it's about maturation and timing. Like I talked a lot with Alex over the last summer and uh, the break coming into the season. And I'm saying, you know, the conversations were there's no blue in your future. Like it's gold. You're focused on gold. And I don't want to see you thinking about blue. And what happened this year? Where did he start? He played three games in Chicago. He's down in Chicago. There's all these other people on the taxi squad and all this weird stuff going on. He's like, 
mad. And so that's another layer for him to get over. So like, I just, you couldn't be more proud of a guy who's paid his dues, found a way to get through and then not just survive. This young man is like excelling in the national hockey league and look like a top four D man. Like you said, he looked great, played outstanding, grabbed the opportunities that were presented to him. You know, there's some changes made on the power play. He got to step up in game three and that's a big moment. And, and one of the first games were packed in the arena as well. So, um, you know, huge moments. And it looked like he'd been there for 10 years. And I think that's what excites all the fans and everyone watching is that he looked very comfortable in the moment. And some, you know, two years ago, if that would have happened, maybe it wouldn't be the same way, you know. And, and so the maturation and the timing of events is different for every single player. You can't rush it. You can't force it. The players are who they are. They receive the coaching in a certain way. And sometimes they have breakthroughs and not everyone makes it. That's just the way it goes. So, so proud of Alex. I know our whole staff is excited for him and we're, we hopefully he can continue his path and keep growing as a player. So you've already talked about Yakov Trenin and Matthew Olivia and Tanner, you know, you've already mentioned all of them. And I, I guess my, as, as someone, I'm, I'm not, I'm only a little bit younger than you, not by much, but I grew up watching probably the same style of hockey that you did watching the same teams that you did, you know, a child of the late eighties and early nineties watching those hockey teams. And certainly the game is very different, but, but how, how, how much joy do you get watching those three guys on the NHL level play the style of game that they play? You know, it's uh, we started here and Tanner is a special individual in a different way. He's had to go to the East Coast. Like he's, he's done, he's just, he's knocked down every wall we put in front of him. And some of them we put in front of him, fair or unfair. And he just blasted right through it. Uh, so I'm so proud of that young man and what he's done. Maddie Olivier, same thing, undrafted. You know, just came to development camps, came to development camps. And then now he's a full-time NHLer, it looks like. So, and training fought through some different things, different culture things. He's coming from Russia. He's coming from different situations trying to understand, trying to learn, trying to process. And he, they, all three of these young men have come a long way. And they're both, they're, they're all physically very strong. Uh, they're big players. They play hard. They're miserable to play against. You know, they're not looking to pick up quarters in the crease. They're looking to look you right in the eyeball and say, I'm here. What are you going to do? So like that, that presence on your team, it changed the Predators this year, right? And uh, I think everyone saw that where other players started playing bigger and started playing harder and they wanted to get on the physical train and, and it allowed that team to really change their identity and change what they stood for. And uh, that's a big props for those guys. Uh, it started kind of Matty Olivier and Tanner Janot uh, were on a line with Joss Wilkins down here and they were slotted on the board on the fourth line, but we played all four lines. Those guys would get 12 to 15 minutes a game. Uh, and kill penalties for us and you know it's the same thing that happened here with those guys is that you know they'd start periods start games start after a goal they were just an energy line that would extend those zone plays and hold on to pucks and stand over pucks allow your team to wear down the other team and then if you double up on a change and you got those guys out there for 50 seconds and you get a double up and you put out your top unit the other line is big they got no chance they're going to receive and they're going to be stuck in their line and now your best offensive players are playing against a tired group who's just been grinded down by your meat line. And now you got a situation to extend and get great, great a scoring chances, not to take away that those guys can't score. They all have really good offensive talents. Uh, it's not the thing we talk about when we talk about those players, 
But let's remember Yakov Trenin that one year, he was at 20 goals in 25 games or whatever he was doing down here. He's just tearing it apart. And last year with Tanner, um, did a great job. He was probably a point, a point, uh, 1.8 points per game he played in Chicago last year and just took off with all the opportunity we gave him. And that's the key. If you get the opportunity, you got to grab it. And that's what Tanner did. We put him on the power play. He's never been in the power play. Played great. Played him in all these situations. He grabbed it. You know, same with Matty Olivier. Like, played fourth line. I didn't play him on the power play. He killed penalties. He ended up with 10 goals. So how do you get 10 goals when you're that fourth line guy? Like, that's double digits. So he's doing something right. He loves to attack above the goal line. So when you watch those guys play, you cannot not get excited as a fan, as a coach, as a teammate. Those are the guys that just grab guys by the bootlaces and drag them into the fight. And so that's the importance of those types of players. Um, and it's not about the fighting or any of those things. Those things are going to happen. And that's the one thing, like, in the old days, there was much different in that department. But nowadays, it's you need to play and count the confrontations you create each period. If you got zero confrontations, what are you doing? Like, you got to be playing in a manner that you're stopping in the paint and you're making people react to you. And if you have confrontations, then you're doing things to have an impact on the game properly. And that's what these guys do. Like, uh, it's not about the other stuff. If you play hard enough and have enough confrontations, things are going to find you. You don't have to be looking around. They'll come to you. Go, go stand in the kitchen, man. No, no question yeah. about it. Uh, Ellie Tolvanen certainly has come a long way. We saw a lot of it this year for the Nashville Predators, and, and he's obviously here to stay in Nashville. Um, what is, you know, I noticed sort of the, even just little things like the back checking, uh, for him, just kind of creating that full two-way game. And, and and he always obviously has always had the sniper shot that just few humans have. That's just something that, like, you're kind of given by God. Um, it, it, what's the next step for him? What, what do you want to see as a guy who's coached him and as, who's now going to get to watch him in Nashville? What, what do you want to see from him that allow, that will allow him to go to the next next tier? Okay, so I, I've probably done more interviews on Eli Tolvin than anyone else in my life. Um, that's the one guy I get asked about all the time in the three years I've been with Nashville. And, and, uh, I, I waited till kid. the end. I waited till yeah, the you're end. good. You're good. I love this kid. And if you go back and read some quotes and different things, like he's a young man that wants to learn how to play the right way. You can see him five on five. He, he's like one of the best hitters on the team. He finishes his checks. He's willing to block shots. Those are all the things that he learned in his maturation down here. And that goes, that, like, the credit to that goes to our coaching staff but more importantly to Jared Tenorti, to Cole Schneider, to Colin Blackwell, these veteran guys we have down here, Matt Donovan, that are teaching these young guys how to play the game the right way. Like you got to have the right bets at this level to support the coaching staff because when the coaching staff isn't there, that's their job. You know, we're not there all the time and we don't want to be, and we don't want to know absolutely everything that happens. That's part of the team growth. You got to allow that room to marinate. You got to allow it to find its way. And when you have the right veterans that we've had here, and that's credit to our organization and Scott Nickel for signing the right veterans, it's critical to have success at this level, not just with wins, but for growth. A guy like Eli Tolman and learning, what do I have to do to survive in this league? How do I get through this? I'm 18. I'm, I'm 19. I'm back here again. I thought I'd be in Nashville. Disappointed. I haven't scored a goal in 20 games. What am I going to do? How do I get through this? Those are all processes for a young man to go through. And, like we've done a ton of work with Tolby and I think with him is he needs to just believe that he can do it. And he's there now he's had the success, you know, on the power play and stick down, running downhill. He's ripped a few in the net. He's done a very good job on that side, 
but it's also confidence and dedication to what he's doing. Like he's learned how to play without the puck. Okay. That's what we had to help him with. He's learned how to defend. He's learned all these things. And the number one line I always told him, I said, Hey, told me I'm not trying to make you a checker. Just remember that. I don't want to delete your offense and your shooting. And uh, these skilled guys always get nervous that we're trying to turn it into checkers. And that's not the case at all. And they, they always think coaches hate skill, but we don't, but we want to make sure that they can go to the NHL and stay there. If you go there, you might rip a couple in the net, but if you can't defend or can't play without the puck, you're not going to stay. You're not going to be a short-term guy. So for us, we're trying to fill their potholes, and that was his. Not that he didn't. It just wasn't a focus for him as a young man. It just never was because he was just shooting it in the net. So he's filled all those things. Now, being a full-time NHLer and what he's done, he has to find a way five-on-five to – it's not like he didn't play well. But he's got to find a way to score and contribute five-on-five. That'll be the next step for, for him is finding the ice – like in the American League, maybe he'd get six chances a game. You're going to get two five-on-five five in the National Hockey League. It's way tighter. It's more structured. There's less good looks. So uh, when Toby went through a dry spell with us, uh, myself and Greg Rallo, we talked to him a lot about don't be so per- precise in, in your uh, selection of area where you're shooting it. Just rip it. Like, you know, it's bottom left, bottom right, top right, top left. That's it. Don't, don't worry about, uh, you know, bar in because – you'll end up missing the net more. And uh, so I, I think when, when we went through a few things and then we ran some drills with them and just working on release, we're not going to teach him how to shoot. He's got a million dollar shot. We all know that. Right. So, but just those little other things that positioning himself and pushing off of players to get half a second more to get the release off, understanding how to find ice and how to create ice five on five for him is going to be the next step for him. And he's going to succeed at it. I really believe in this player. And I, I really believe that he's going to be an elite NHL player for a long time. What makes Philip Tomasino special? Uh, I think it's his pushback. And I didn't know much about Phil. Uh, we had him in Chicago and uh, he, he receives the coaching. He's very coachable. And if you look, you look, he had a fight against Cody McLeod this year. I bet you guys didn't know that. So <laughs> I know you guys know Cody from back in his Nash days. And, and uh, he's not, a, he's not a very, uh, uh, timid individual. I wouldn't mess so, with him. So anyways, Cody's uh, uh, playing in Iowa and, and uh, Phil is just a guy that he's so skilled and loves the game of hockey. Another young man at 19 years old playing in the American League. What a great year for him. And a situation where at the end of almost every game, we only played, I think, five, six teams this year. So everyone had a little growl on for each other. But Phil just played in a manner that would drive the other team insane because of his ability to finish his ability to make plays and then his ability to stand up for himself. And uh, let's not kid ourselves. Phil's not a fighter. We're not calling him that. The fact is that he would not go away lightly and he would stand his ground and he'd stare people in the eye. Now that that's a big stage for a 19 year old playing against 30, 35 year old men in the American hockey league. So uh, I'm really proud of him. Um, there's a couple moments I got hard on him and he received it very well and he was able to come back and process, but he didn't just let it slide and then talk about the coach outside of his mouth. He came back the next day and said, you're right. Or, Hey, can we go over this again? I want to know. And I, I get it. Uh, so he's a guy searching to be a great player. I think there's a lot of good intangibles outside of his skill and what he does as a hockey player. That's going to push him through and make him a very good player. 
Coach, uh, you've been very gracious with your time. Uh, much appreciated. I know fans um, are, are very appreciative of all the insight you've offered. Um, I, I'm assuming you cannot wait to get back to normal at the end of the summertime and just like coach a season of hockey, just like a normal, like a normal thing, right? Yeah, we're, we're uh, the whole Milwaukee staff here, like the front office staff, the ownership group, uh, even Nashville to have our team back here, all our staff, our members, and our players, like we had players shipped all around the place, players in Tucson. We had players in Sweden, Cole Snyder went to Texas. We had guys all over the map. So um, there's no question we are very excited to get back to normal, whatever that means. But we're, we're, we're excited to have that first home game. You know, you smell the popcorn, the hot dogs are getting made. You're excited. Tan fans are getting, they're in the lobby. All those fun things that you love about the game as a fan but as a coach, and then you hear the warm-up music, they're testing things out. You know it's going to be a big crowd, and the arena is going to be very excited to get back to. This team's been here, I don't know how long, but 50 years, 55 years. Uh, it's had about a long history, and the fans love it. It's a very select group that really enjoys the game. And so as a staff, we want to get our hands back on our players. And we did that this year somewhat, but we just didn't have the touches that we want as coaches. Yeah. And that's not anyone's fault. We try to make the best of it. But for us, we really want to invest back into our group and, and start coaching, running drills, and doing all the things we want to do to, to make this team excellent and really make uh, the city of Milwaukee proud. Well, I think you, you have, and I think you should, as you watch 11 players play in the Stanley Cup playoffs uh, at some point during the year. Uh, you guys should be very proud of what you've accomplished. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it, and uh, best of luck coming up in, uh, in next season. All right, thank you very much. Special thanks to Carl Taylor of the Milwaukee Admirals for giving us so much of his time. I hope you Preds fans enjoyed that conversation. I know I did. He loves to talk. He loves to talk hockey. And he's been instrumental in, frankly, the rebuild for the Nashville Predators, if, if that's what you want to call it, of course, in the second half of last season coming uh, coming up as strongly as they did. All those young players, 11 different guys making time. Again, if you go back and look at his like 2018 roster, I think it is, where he had Yakov Trenin, Matthew Olivier, Alex Carrier, you know, Ellie Tolvanen, Tanner Janot, like the entire, all the guys, basically. Ben Harper was on there. Jared Tenorti was on there. Again, even guys that aren't necessarily going to be on the team now. Colin Blackwell was on that team. So just... Uh, an incredible run of guys that have come up and contributed. How many of them are going to be superstars? I, I don't know. Ellie Tolvin and Philip Tomasino, Alex Carrier, probably the top of that list. But you don't need all superstars to win a, a cup in the NHL. You need a lot of different types of pieces. And he's done a great job developing those guys. So special thanks to Carl Taylor for joining us. And uh, man, one of the better programs in the AHL and not shy about his desire to get to the NHL as a head coach. If he keeps what he's if he keeps doing what he's doing. It won't take him all that long. Uh, quickly, analysis of Adam Vingan's expansion draft protection list on The Athletic from last week. We talked about it on last week's episode, and Adam is not here to defend himself. The problem is I have nothing to attack him on. I wish I did because, again, he's not here to defend himself. I would like to attack him on something, but I cannot. He decided to protect five defensemen. And, again, you can go check out the article, pay for good journalism, go to The Athletic. He decided to protect five defensemen, Matias Ekholm, Roman Yossi, Dante Fabro, Ryan Ellis, and Alexander Carrier, goaltender UC Saros, and forwards Colton Sissons, Philip Forsberg, and Luke Cunnan. I believe we actually talked about that exact collection of players on last week's team. That leaves Victor Arvidsson, Callie Yarncroke, Ryan Johansson, and Matt Duchesne all 
unprotected. I just don't think there's another way to do this. Unless you can work a deal, in which case everyone gets protected, I, I think you have to risk it and put the two big names out there. And if they decide to take Cali Yarncroke and you get all that talent back, then fine, it is what it is. If they decide to take Victor Arvidsson and you get all the talent back, fine, it is what it is. Ideally, David Poyle works his butt off to either trade Victor Arvidsson and or get Seattle to take Duchesne, or maybe they're all coming back next season and you lose Callie Yarncroke. Who knows? It's a fascinating situation for David Poyle and company who is clearly not tipping his hand at all as to what they're going to do. Again, the expansion list is due to the Seattle Kraken on July 17th, so we're about a month away from when they actually have to submit the list. I Adam's list is what I would do. I wish I could yell at him. I wish I could be snarky and do the voice and be mad at him, but I think it's what I would do as well. So... Uh, that just about does it for this week's episode. Adam will be back next week as we continue to talk Nashville Predators all summer long. We do appreciate Carl Taylor as well. Make sure you're going to Jasper's. They got great happy hour specials every single day from four to six. There's free parking. The menu is genuinely really, really good. Like it's, it's an awesome menu and it's not your average sports bar, right? It's the next evolution of the sports bar. It's a place where you get to go watch a game, play shuffleboard and eat legitimately good food and not feel bad about it the next morning. And and great drink specials, always something good going on. You got the grab-and-go market, the private dining room, the patio. There's all kinds of great stuff. Just go check it out. Uh, tweet us, by the way, at 440 Sports, at Braden Gall, um, at Jaspers Nash if you want to as well. I'm sure they'd love to hear about your experience, so go check it out uh, over on West End. We do appreciate it. Adam Bingen will be back next week. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter, at Braden Gall. Thank you all for listening. This has been the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network.